0: Acts chapter 4, as we uh, begin in verse 36, look at God's Word together tonight. You know, I'm reminded that there are all kinds of folks who make up a local church, right? I mean all kinds of folks, that you'll go into a church and you'll get to meet people and you'll get to see that there are folks that some folks are a little more um, outgoing, some folks are a little more reserved. Uh, some folks perhaps are a little more encouraging. Some folks are not quite as encouraging. Some folks are living in a state of euphoria. We call that state the state of Mississippi, but they're living in the state of euphoria. And there are those who are living in the state of misery as our fellow LSU fans. And there are all kinds of different people with different talents and different gifts and different personalities. And it, it makes for a unique mix, doesn't it? When well, God puts us together in this thing He calls the church, we're, and we're just different. We're just different individuals. Um, the other day, I had uh, one of the guys who attends here. He came up. He came up to me, and he said, uh, "Hey, brother Reggie, you know that guy you were talking about the other day?" He said, "I actually, I, I know him. We have some mutual friends." And I was thinking, now what are you talking Well, yeah, we, you know, mutual relationships that we have. And I got to thinking this guy's in a high profile job. And I thought maybe, you know, he's just talking about somebody else that I had met there in Zachary. So, and, and I said, uh, exactly who are you referring to? He said, you know, that guy you were talking about the other day in the church, you know, you know, the guy that, uh, has the gift of uh, the spiritual gift of criticism. I know him. Um, Every time I make a certain decision or every time something happens, he emails me or texts me and lets me know. He said, we we got some mutual friends. (laughs) I said, well, I said, I got you. I understand. You know, there are just different folks. There are different folks that we find. Uh, And as you uh, look at every church, as you kind of grow in churches and you see churches that are a larger size, smaller, you, you see almost the same type of mix. You really do um one of the pastors one time one of my home pastors he looked at me and he said reggie said you never want to pastor a large church i said why is that he said because you got more problems more problems i I said what he said you got more problems you just want to you don't need to do that you just need to do your thing but you know what i've realized is that you might have a few more issues because you got a few more people right because we're people and we all got issues i don't care what size of church you're at we all got issues but also you find more of those encouraging good people as well. That's the way it is. That's the way you see them. I want you to see in the book of Acts that even in that early days, the earliest days of the church, that they had different individuals and some were there, some, some you would refer to as heroes of the church. Would, there are individuals that are making a difference for the kingdom. And, and I'll be honest with you. When you look at the early church, you also see those who are living under pretense you'll see individuals that we might very well call the hypocrites. I want you to see here in the book of Acts, as Dr. Luke records the advancement of the church, this is what he says. He says, And Joseph, or Joseph, as some of your translations may say, who also was named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, Dr. Luke had just given us this beautiful picture of the church, how the church would come together and they were taking care of one another. If you read in those preceding verses, you'll see how your brothers and sisters in Christ, they were there for their brothers and sisters in Christ. They were taking care of each other. They wanted to make sure that all of the needs... And remember, as you're there in Jerusalem, you're facing possible persecution. I mean, if you're going to commit your life to the way, to Christ... Then you opened yourself up to the persecution of the those in Jerusalem, those of Jewish descent. People may not give you the people may not give you the jobs you thought you could get. People may not, they may affect your even your livelihood. So you are making decisions that were going to affect your life. And what it says here is that the church just stepped up. The brothers and sisters in Christ, they just shared together. And this was a voluntary sharing. This was not. A com- like a communism that they uh, somehow uh, came about. It, they were loving one another and taking care of one another. And in the process of this, Dr. Luke introduces us to a hero of that church, a guy named Joseph, a guy named Joseph. And he says of him that this guy was a Levite. He was one of these servants that would come in the temple and take care of a lot of different things. He wasn't a priest, but... He could take care of different things, and he was from Cyprus, and and here he is active ministering in the church in such a way that they gave him a nickname, and the nickname was Barnabas, and that's probably the way most of us know him today as Barnabas, and we see him. Actually active in the mission of the early church. As we continue to read through the book of Acts, you'll see Barnabas being one of those guys who steps up to make a difference for the kingdom. But he's named Barnabas, the the son of encouragement, the son of encouragement. And we will see through the book of Acts exactly how he encourages people. But could you imagine earning that nickname among the people of God? I mean... All of us, we are in different kinds of nicknames, right? Can you imagine some of those p- nicknames that we've given, to, we've assigned to other people through the years? I mean, it, it's Coming from Mississippi, you would have some very unique nicknames. People you'd call Squirrel. Squirrel? How do you get that? People, I mean, all kinds of things that you would call other individuals. Uh, my kids coming up through the years, they they've kind of got nicknames. Uh, we started, uh, with one, you know, I, I tell Abigail, for example, she's my baby. And then when Hayes came along, he was my buddy. And then I started running out of bees cause I didn't realize I was going to have as many children, you know, <laughs> but we, we kind of got through that list and, and they know, and you can hear them. They'll talk about, well, this is boo-boo and this is baby and this is you know we got different kinds but think think if you're in the church okay you're in the church and you're assigned a name what kind of nickname would you want let me ask you a question which nickname do you think you'd be assigned that's the more frightening question isn't it but here's this guy that has made such a difference in the church and, and this is a loving church this is a church that's giving that's helping i mean in the midst of this loving picture, they pick out this one guy and they say, You know what? You're the Barnabas. You are the son of encouragement. You are the guy who stands shoulder above everybody else as being the encourager in our church. And again, when you look at his life, you recognize how they tagged him appropriately. He was the encourager. Oh, how we need those people. Oh, how we need those individuals that have a spiritual gift of encouragement. Now, I think all of us can be encouraging, and we should be. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? I think all of us should have some type of encouraging spirit about us. But we also know that there are people... That are gifted especially with this with this attitude and this heart of encouragement. These are individuals that can tell you the truth, and yet when you leave, you still feel encouraged. I used to I used to describe Dr. Argel Smith in that way. Some of you know Argil, he was at New Orleans Seminary and uh, there at l c right now as the interim president at Louisiana College. But he used to could do that. He he would I would have him for a class, I would have him for a seminar, I would go in and talk to him about perhaps my paper, and uh he would tell me different things and I would go out of there feeling good about myself, encouraged. And then I realized that he told me my paper was terrible. I didn't well I mean, that's not the way it came off when I was in there, but looking back over it, I recognized That he just told me the truth, but I still loved him for it. Man, that's a gift. A gift of encouragement. And there are those people that the church needs. Yes, there are people that think that they're there to be critical. But God has called so many encouragers. I I can name you through the years some of those individuals that sent me cards or that sent me notes that just encouraged me. Sometimes they did it in moments when they did not know that I needed such encouragement. Yes, there were moments that you would find criticism. You would find um, individuals that were negative. Yes, you'd find that. You find that everywhere, okay? Don't give up on the church just because you happen to run into the one guy, as I said earlier, that has the spiritual gift of criticism. Well, you know that I came to that church and that's the way. It... Yes, you'll meet them. Used to when I was in Zachary, I would finish my messages and there were at least one, maybe two guys that would catch me every week and tell me how I could have done better. Leslie will tell you I'm telling the truth on that of how I could have done some things much better. And look, I'm very open. So if you got to tell me something tonight, wait till Wednesday night, okay? But I'm talking about there are those people that were just, just there. And here's Barnabas. He's a hero of the church. He's an encourager. You'll see how he will stand up for individuals. He'll stand up for the Apostle Paul when the church is ready to just throw him out and, and not recognize him. He'll be the one who will stand up for John Mark when, when Paul is ready to throw John Mark out. He... It is Barnabas that is the son of encouragement. And here he's introduced, in the midst of this church, he's introduced, and it shows his giving heart. In verse 37, it says, Having land, sold it, and brought it, brought the money, and laid it all at the apostles' feet. He said, I wanna be all in. I wanna help my brothers and sisters. And notice this is authentic, this is real. Barnabas didn't have to generate this. He was just willingly doing what he believed God wanted him to do as an act of love and compassion. He was a hero of the church. I say to you again, there are many heroes that God gives us in his church. And there are so many people. I've I've recognized even in this last year or so here at Temple, how God has called so many individuals to be encouraging and compassionate and generous and giving, and it comes from their heart. They're authentic about it. And I say, praise be to God for giving us those individuals. Well, I say to you that there are heroes, but then there are also those who are living in pretense. Look in chapter 5, verse 1. And I do believe this is a stark contrast that Dr. Luke is painting for us, okay? He gives us Barnabas. He says, this is a great thing that's happening in the church. And then in verse 1, of chapter 5, he contrasts Barnabas' example with, one, with an example of pretense. Notice it says, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part and laid it at the, at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So here's Ananias. And we're not told exactly what motivates him. I mean, perhaps he has seen, I think, in this close connection with Barnabas. Maybe he saw what happened as Barnabas expressed his heart and, and gave so sacrificially. And, and um, Ananias thought to himself, you know, this, this would be a good deal. Maybe that's what I need to do. Maybe it was self-promotion. Maybe it was well-intentioned in the beginning. But he was caught up in it and he says, I want to make sure that that we're given in such a way too. So he gives, or he at least commits to give. He makes a pledge, and yet he keeps some of it back. The word that is used here uh, that's in verse 3 that talks about keeping back a part, it was used in, in a sense of embezzlement. The term could be translated to embezzle money. When you think, again, embezzlement, That seems kind of strange. It's the same term that's used in the Old Testament uh, to describe Achan and his taking from Jericho as they were going in. Remember, everything was supposed to be destroyed, but he keeps back something. Now, listen, when I read this, I don't hear a condemnation simply because Ananias didn't give. The issue here is the pretense in which he did give. Even Peter says what? Peter says, all of this was yours. So in other words, this was not uh, something that was compulsory. You didn't have to do this. He didn't have to. It wasn't like you're breathing a sigh of relief, right? That the church and the pastor doesn't come and say, you have to give so much That's not the way it worked. And that's the way not the way it worked here. Everything was still under his control. He was the one that made the decision that I'm going to give all of this, all of these resources, this possession. He's the one that made the decision. The problem is not with his with how much he gets. The problem is with the pretense that he entered into. Notice, over and over again, he says, there's that sense of deception that Peter speaks about. Verse 4 says, you have not lied to men, but to God. You have come before God, and you have sought to deceive Him. I've never seen a passage where God affirms pretense. I've never seen a passage in all of Scripture where God affirms people deceiving, people living in deception, people living in simple pretense. I I just haven't seen it. I've always believed, and I I think this is borne out here, that God always wants us to come... In an authentic way before Him. And, and whoever we are, don't you believe that? That God is, He's concerned about who, those individuals who are real and genuine, and they just come before Him and they put the cards on the table and they say, God, this is who we are. Not that we can't be different. God, we want to be transformed. We want to be changed. But God, this is who we are. And we want you to take who we are and we want you to make us into something different. That's not what I see here with Ananias. As a matter of fact, when Peter is speaking to him through this supernatural revelation of the Spirit, as God gives him this great wisdom of what's been done, as he speaks to him, I think there's still the opportunity for Ananias to come clean and to be authentic and to repent of his sins. I, I still believe there's that opportunity at this point. But yet, Ananias has chosen pretense. And see in verse 5, then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. Now I know you're reading this and you think, that sounds so harsh, so judgmental. I mean, that does not sound like the redemptive God that we serve. Remember always that we live in a tension between a loving God and a holy God. Both are fine. I mean, both are real. God is absolutely loving. He is all loving. He is the very definition of love. But God is also holy, right? God doesn't deal with our... He's not into embracing our sin, our immorality, our deception. God is more than willing to forgive us if we'll come before Him in an authentic, genuine way and confess our sins. I, I believe that, don't you? But when we continue in our pretense, when we continue unrepentant in our sin then we see the holiness of God demonstrated even through judgment and I think here also that in the early days of this church God was trying to remind them of his love for the truth and his love for genuineness it says here so great fear came upon all those who heard these things. I do believe that Dr. Luke is given to understatements. Look at this. So great fear. You, you, you want to talk about great fear coming upon the church? You want to talk about you want to talk about the attention that was grabbed in this moment? You want to talk about how not many other people lined up? To confess to Peter that day? I mean, here it says that great fear came upon all those who heard these things. We'll look at that again in a moment. But look in verse 6. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now, it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. Notice, he's extending grace to her. Tell me. What you've done, give me the truth. She said, oh, yeah, we sold it for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? You have entered into a conspiracy with your husband to deceive God. He says, look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet. And breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. And carrying her out. Buried her. By her husband. Notice again in verse 11. So great fear. Came upon all the church. And upon all. Who heard. These things. God loves. To use people. Who have an encouraging spirit. God, I think in his truth and in his holiness, he is obligated to deal with those individuals who live in pretense. It's really what I think it comes down to. He embraces those people that just come with an authentic heart, encouraging spirit. He He uses them to build his kingdom. But for those people who would come in pretense, getting caught up that, oh, the church is just, again, about me and my personal glorification and what I want to see. I think I think God is very much turned off by such deception. And here he has demonstrated that you're going to find different people, different times that will come and claim to be a part of the church and who they are. I've had friends. I see conversations every day that... How can we do better? How can we, prevent, um, how can we prevent false conversions? And I certainly believe in trying to make sure I explain the gospel as clearly as possible and talking people through it. I, I certainly believe all those things. But may I say to you that when I looked at the early church, there are false converts in the early church as well. And Paul preached as pure of a gospel as I've ever known, as I've ever seen. There are those even there that will live lives of pretense. I think it was Billy Graham, wasn't it? That said one of the largest mission fields that we have is the church itself. I'm not trying to cause you to doubt tonight. Don't get me wrong. If you have confessed the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have repented of your sins, if you have come to that salvation, look, you know that you've been saved in him. But I want you to also know that there are people that are in some of our churches today that are not, they're not converted. I I really believe that. I tell people all the time, you know the reason the church is in the shape it is? is because I really do believe that we have a lot of unbelievers who are on our church rolls. I really do. And there are going to be those who will pretend. But I say to you that God knows better, doesn't he? God knows our hearts better than we know our hearts. And what God wants to do is to transform that individual. He wants to transform us. He wants to do a work in our hearts so that when we come before him, we come before him in a genuine, authentic way. When I come on Sunday morning, when I come on Sunday night, when I live my life daily before other individuals, he really wants us just to be real in who we are and to seek him above all things and what he does he works in such a way even in look he can work even in the lives of those who carry on pretense he can work in their lives to advance his gospel because it says that the church they experience an awe and a wonder i mean they see what happens Again, it says fear came upon, and they began telling other people. I, I bet they did. did. Don't don't you think the word started to spread? I mean, uh, they didn't have the internet then, but can you imagine all the tweets, and the twits, and the facebooking, and the calling? Because it went out, and and they began to get the picture of this holy God, right? Because remember, this is a first time in the book of Acts that the word church is actually used here. This is a people of God beginning a community, a new community, wanting to live in relation to one another. And what is God trying to say to them? God's trying to say to them, hey, don't forget, I love you, but I require the truth. And, and I want you, when you come together, to know that I am a loving God, but that also I'm a holy God. And that's this is one of the ways he communicates this in that beginning of the early church. Now listen, I do not pray that we would see such judgment. I'll be honest with you. I, I'm not in God. I don't, I don't pray, God, show us that judgment. Because I'm going to tell you, I'm I would stand in the need of mercy and grace more than anybody else in this place. So I'm not going around praying, Lord, just... But don't you pray that sometimes we in this contemporary church that we live in today, that we would also come to a realization and awe and a fear, a holy fear of the God we serve, that it would drive us back that it would inspire, inspire us to live lives of authenticity and genuineness before Him. You know, before I come to you, before you say, I know before I get up on Sunday night or Sunday morning, again, that God knows me more and better than you ever will, or that you do, or that my family does. He knows me. And God somehow wants to deal with me before he can truly use me in other people's lives, he wants me to be real before him. Again, it wasn't about money. To me, it was about pretense. What you see in Ananias and Sapphira. So I challenge you. I mean, this is a challenge for us. One, that God would allow us to be people of encouragement. Number two, that He would allow us to be people that are real and genuine and living an authentic life before our brothers and sisters and before Him. I think that's what God wants. I think that's what you see communicated. And in those moments, we can see His power and we can see His glory and we can see His character truly manifest in our lives. Let's pray together. Father. We come before you. And we thank you. We thank you. For our family. Our our spiritual family here. We thank you for those individuals. Like Barnabas. That have encouraged us along our way. And along this journey Lord we thank you for them and God we pray that you would allow that spirit to be evident in our lives as well but God I pray tonight as we come together in this place that Lord you would allow us to experience genuineness realness in our relationships Father that you would drive all pretense from here And that, Lord, we would experience you in such a tremendous relationship and our brothers and sisters in such a tremendous relationship. Lord, that we would see your glory each and every day. Father, we love you this night. You know our hearts, as I've said, better than we know our own. And God, tonight in this place, just convict us Help us to be your people. Help us to be your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand tonight? So we have this hymn of invitation. Would you come as God calls?